The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What can be done for an old heart that's hard? What can be done for a man or woman who is casual about Jesus? It is not a spirit of love that he needs. It is a spirit of truth. It is a spirit that is holy. Today on Pilgrim's Progress, I'm going to share with you some very solemn realities of the Holy Spirit. I urge you to listen carefully and to the entire message. I'm going to walk with you through portions of John, the 16th chapter, and John, the 15th chapter. Before I begin, again, we are on the first day of a new month, and as far as I know, we are still $1,500 short of being able to pay for the month of September. We needed almost $4,000, and God has graciously moved in many of your hearts, some small and some large, so that today we are 1500 and some dollars short. Now, I could do an offertory, but I believe these solemn truths of the Holy Spirit, these realities are too great, and right now I need to talk about those with you. I'm not able to get to the post office until the weekend because I don't have transportation to go there, so I can't tell you exactly what has come in. I don't know. 
But I'm asking that you not be concerned about that, that you just open your heart and give hilariously for the work of the gospel of Jesus. If ever there was a time in our nation's history and in Washington, D.C., when we need to have a straight, cutting, unvarnished word of truth, it is today. The foolishness, the bitterness, the backbiting, the the cheating and the lying that's going on in our capital is a shame before the world. There has to be a change. And God's judgment is going to come very quickly and he is going to bring that change and it will be most painful when it comes. So would you step in and help keep this broadcast on the air with the word of God being faithfully taught unvarnished, the work of the gospel being done in this city. Thank you. If you would, just make out a check to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online and thank you to dear sisters who have done that. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can donate on PayPal. Now let's pray. Lord, we come to this very serious topic of solemn realities of the Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would send forth your Holy Spirit now to teach us what we must know if we are going to walk with you in holiness, in union with Jesus, abiding in him and he abiding in us. Lord, would you make it so now? Quicken the word that will be spoken in the name of Jesus. Amen. John, the 14th chapter, will begin with verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. That word another means one just like There are two words in the Greek. The one used here is for the one just like. So he's saying he is asking the Father to give us a a person like himself so that now we will walk in the Spirit in the same way the disciples walked with Jesus They will teach the same things. They will say the same things. They will act in the same ways. He will be a counselor, a paraclete, one who is the attorney, the one who stands beside, the one who is a helper. It is the counselor's job to convict the world of sin, of judgment, of righteousness, And if he needs to, he will convict the Christian of these things. The world 
Continuing in verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was very powerful. He fell on men like Gideon, Samson, David, Jephthah, Sometimes they were righteous men, as King David was. And sometimes they're unrighteous men. But the Holy Spirit uses them anyway. But he was not in them. In the New Covenant, he comes and he dwells in us. It is such intimacy that is described here. It is glorious. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to come to you. How's he going to come? He's going to come by his Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. How? By the Holy Spirit. You see, many of us have lived most of our lives, as in the Old Covenant, with the Holy Spirit prompting us, rebuking us, answering our prayers, but he has been outside of us. He has not dwelt in us. And so we've struggled. We've not been baptized in Holy Spirit. We've not been plunged into Holy Spirit. The word holy is not part of his title. He is the Spirit of truth. He is Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We were given two gifts. We were given first at great price to heaven, at great price to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we were given Jesus. We were given Jesus to be our atoning sacrifice for our sin. Secondly, we were given at Pentecost the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of life, the paraclete, the helper. We were given the second wonderful gift of God, if you have not yet received that gift in being baptized by the Spirit, there is something wrong in your life with Jesus. And we must all admit that, and it must be rectified. I am spending much time in prayer. There's a part of me that wishes I didn't even need to do this broadcast. I am jealous for every moment I can spend before God. I'm not reaching out and ministering to people. 
I am simply waiting before God and crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he has promised me it is coming. He is coming. And when he comes, you'll see a significant change in Pastor Ray. (laughs) Makes me want to weep. We don't have enough. We need more. We are fruitless. Oh yes, you can you can build a great company, you can build a great church, you can have children, marry, buy a car, buy a house, go on vacations, you can do all kinds of things without Jesus. But you can't do anything of significance without Jesus, without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I continue. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus wants to come in the Holy Spirit and make his home in us, to make his dwelling in us. I was just given a a wonderful, wonderful volume. If you don't have it, I urge you to buy it. Go on Amazon, look it up. It's a paperback. It's entitled Life in the Sun, S-O-N, by Robert Shank. It is Life in the Sun, S-O-N, by Robert Shank. This is a book that was written... Let me see. Copyright 1960. Um, by Robert Lee Shank. I urge you to get it. You'll want it after you hear what he writes. And I'm going to share some of his thoughts with you today. You see, all of us are paupers. We're, we're poor. We're destitute. Now, we may not think we are, but spiritually, that's the reality. There is utter destitution in every man or woman who is not a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is the answer to that problem. We have been given in Jesus a free gift. We don't earn it. It's given freely. I know that's an insult to many people because you want to earn it. And legalism always rears its head. But I want to say this very plainly. Righteousness, real righteousness, not imputed, not imputed righteousness of the old covenant. Imparted righteousness, real righteousness is given to every believer who is willing to believe in Jesus Christ. Righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. Alone. Not with a sinning Christian. Now, this gift that is given to us Real righteousness, forgiveness of our sins, wiping away the debt 
of wickedness from our hearts, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. This gift is very costly. It costs every one of us a total renunciation of ourself and almost everything we have held dear in our lives. The Apostle Paul was willing to pay the price. He said things like this, I am crucified with Christ in Galatians. To me to live is Christ. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I do count all things but loss for the priceless privilege of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You cannot accept Jesus Christ and the gift of his salvation on any terms other than total, complete surrender of self to him. Pastors have confused this issue for many of you by giving appeals from the pulpit, such as you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but have you really made him the Lord of your life? One mega church in Springfield, Virginia, took an action on their administrative board and voted that the pastors should no longer confront people with the necessity of accepting Jesus as Lord. They said that will they will grow into that later, but right now just have them come to Jesus as Savior. They're utterly deluded. It's a lie. When you accept Jesus as Savior, you have not really made him your Lord. Why not dedicate your life totally to him? Now, you see, when a person is invited to accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, they're dividing those actions. They're saying it's one thing to accept Jesus as Lord, and it's another thing to accept him as your Savior. Much to the contrary. Mr. Shank goes on, they are inseparable aspects of a single act. Like repentance and faith, they are mutually involved. There cannot be one without the other. No man can accept Jesus as Savior of his soul without accepting him as Lord of his life. The church today in America is paralyzed. And this is the moment of supreme opportunity. Wickedness is on every hand. The church has an opportunity to stand up and confront that wickedness and open the way of salvation for men. But we in the church have committed the blasphemy of insisting that what is so costly for God is easy to come by in the church. We as pastors, I'm not speaking of myself, have dared not face the congregation 
with the hard truth of the real gospel we have preached in America, a soft, sentimental gospel that has left people broken and sinners and filling the church and calling the church a hospital. The church is not a hospital. The church is a place of gathering for service, for the equipping for service. The gospel of Christ, through a comfortable word, is, whether you want to face it or not, a very hard gospel. Jesus warned his hearers that the cost of discipleship is dear. Luke fourteen twenty five through 35 is recorded an instance in his ministry which seems virtually to be ignored in this day of cheap grace and easy salvation. There were great multitudes with Jesus. He turned and he said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Count the cost, warned Jesus, and be sure you intend to finish Salt is good only as it retains its savor. The price of discipleship to Jesus is very high. What king asked Jesus going to war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with his ten thousand to meet that other king with twenty thousand, or else while the other is yet a great way off, He sends an ambassador and asks for conditions of peace. The condition of peace granted by a king to a lesser king who dared not meet him in battle is total submission. The lesser king becomes his vassal, paying tribute, taxes, with himself and all of his possessions subject to the command of his Lord. So likewise, Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath cannot be my disciple. The lordship of Jesus over self, over life, over possessions must be acknowledged if we are to know him as a savior. All must be surrendered to him who gave his all for us. He who said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, said also, Take my yoke upon you. We cannot find rest for our souls in him unless we take his yoke. Whoever shall fall upon this stone, said Jesus, shall be broken. Casting ourselves upon Jesus, the rock of our salvation, involves a painful breaking of self. It doesn't happen quickly sometimes. Sometimes we make it go on for years. But it doesn't need to. It depends on how stubborn you want to be. How hard-hearted you want to be. How much you are determined you will have your way and you will not submit and you will not surrender and you will have it your way or the highway. 
the alternative is extremely fearful. On whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. We must fall and be broken or be fallen upon and forever crushed. Now, it doesn't seem that way perhaps to you today because you have seemingly much time on your side. I can tell you today, America does not have much time on its side. America is going to be utterly crushed financially. There's going to be starvation in this land. It is coming, and you can hide from it like a an ostrich putting his head in the sand, and you can say, Pastor, stop talking about that. It scares me. It should scare you. And if you're not right with Jesus, you're going to be in for a hard time. Even if you are walking in Jesus and the power of the Spirit has overtaken your life, times are not going to be easy. You're going to have to learn how to totally trust in Jesus and do exactly what he tells you. You think now, oh, I have all of these riches. I have this house. I have this. I have that. Are you kidding me? That can be wiped away in moments. Your life can be taken in moments. Jesus commissioned his disciples to preach repentance and remission of sins in his name. Repentance and the removal. Aphemy is the Greek word in this passage. Aphemy, meaning to forgive, but more than that, to utterly remove that sin. That's what the disciples were commissioned. Luke twenty four forty seven. There is no removal of sin from your life without repentance. And repentance involves the whole of life. It is concerned not merely with sorrow for the past, but even more with your intentions for the future. It is the abandoning of our own selfish way to God's way in obedience and fellowship with Him. And that is by the Holy Spirit. I want you to know there is nothing I'm describing today that is effectual in your life without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Just accept Christ and be saved is the appeal of many. But receiving Jesus Christ as Savior is not a matter of just accepting Him with no strings attached. We cannot accept Jesus as Savior apart from a definite change of mind, of heart, of will involving your whole life, all of your affections, all of your intentions. You are to become a totally new person. There must be a total, full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus You must take his yoke. You know, I praise God that this dying thief was offered a full salvation. And there are those who want to say, oh, I'm saved like the dying thief. No, you're not. Not if you're not dying. The question is, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to do from this point onward It will necessarily involve decisions about surrendered service in the Lordship of Jesus. 
Now, I share these thoughts with you today. Because none of this is possible without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an add-on. He is, in fact, the instrument used by God that he could have Jesus and the Father dwell in us in the Spirit. Now, the problem we face is that you may have no desperate hunger in your heart and soul for Jesus. You've been unwilling to believe that Jesus alone can satisfy the cry of your heart. Why? Because you've spent your days and your strength carefully gathering to yourself all your little fads and devices, all of your nights of sitting in the television, nights of going with the guys to gamble and smoke your cigars, going to the clubs, busy, 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 all good activities maybe, but no time for Jesus. You think, oh, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. You've been deceived, my brother, my sister. It's not going to work. We like these little side things that give us a sense of comfort other than Jesus. I heard a story about a about a prospector. This prospector died of thirst out in the desert in California searching for gold. He had died clutching in his hand a bag of copper pyrites. It's called fool's gold. It looks like gold, but it's not. It's copper. In his pocket was a piece of paper on which he had written, I died rich. Millions there are. Are you one? Who are clasping tightly, holding tightly to a bag of fool's gold. And you spend your life until you die. And then you're going to awake as a pauper in hell it's a very personal issue for me my my aunt Martha on my mother's side was married to a man who was a a geology professor at a major university and when he retired he and his wife my aunt Martha moved to Cherry Creek Nevada That's a famous old mining uh, town. Some $20 million worth of gold and silver has been extracted from that area. He wanted to spend the rest of his life prospecting and becoming very wealthy. So he had his retirement, and Aunt Martha became the postmistress, one person 
at the post office, hired by the post office service. And he spent his days on his four-wheeler with his bucket and his shovel and his pickaxe going out looking for that gold strike. He knew it was out there and he wanted to search for it. He searched for it for over a year. One day he came driving back like Jehu, shouted to to his wife, Martha, I found it! And he took off his heavy bag of of rock. He said, we've got to get this to the assayer. It is this, the richest strike I could have ever imagined. It is a strike that lays right on the open ground. It will take almost nothing to extract this gold, and we will be fabulously wealthy. Well, they dropped the the samples off to be assayed. And that night, he was so excited he couldn't sleep. But finally, after tossing and turning in great excitement with gold fever coursing through his veins, Uncle Reg went to sleep. And the next morning when Aunt Martha got up, he was gone. He had died of a heart attack in the night. He was so excited about his gold. Can I tell you? He was not a Christian. He was an atheist. I'll guarantee you he's not an atheist today. He has faced the reality of his sin. And now he goes to the judgment bar of God. All of these things that consume us, that draw our hearts, that we spend ourselves for, for our children and our wife and our husband and and the friends and the parties and the and the get-togethers and all the social events and all the, the rituals of the church, they will not save you. They are but distractions. They are fool's gold. The only gold that I know, his name is Jesus. Now we come to the 15th chapter. This is a very intimate portrait that we are going to receive about Jesus and about what he invites us to. It begins, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. How does he do this? How does the father do this? In the same way, Jesus and the father created the world in the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? The Spirit of God hovered over the deep and brought forth. In the same way, the way we will bear fruit is by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit, 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to bring purity and righteousness, and he comes to bring power. Both. Some churches, like the Vineyard Fellowship that I have a great love and respect for, Listen to John Wimber as he talked about power evangelism. And it was very important. It filled a necessary need in the body of Christ. Other evangelicals are more concerned about the Holy Spirit bringing holiness. We must have both. It's not either or. Now he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, He cuts off every branch. You and me, we are the branches if we come to Jesus. Now I want to be clear with you. The church is not the vine. The church, it is the branches. The branches gather together in Christ Jesus. So by going to the church and saying, I'm going there to get inspired... I'm going there to get encouraged. I'm going there to be connected. There is a a measure of truth in all of that. But it's not the truth. The truth is Jesus is the head of the church. But Jesus is the vine, not the church. The body, that's the church not the head. We must be connected to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus will connect us with the body and give us our proper place with the necessary gifts to function in that place. He says, you are already clean. He's speaking to his disciples. Because of the word I've spoken to you, remain in me, abide in me, in other words, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now I want to back up. There are three essential truths that we need to highlight out of the passages I've just shared with you. Number one, the mutual indwelling, the mutual indwelling of you in Jesus and Jesus in you is based on your free choice to totally surrender, repent of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Spirit then you can abide in Jesus. 
Otherwise, you will not abide in Jesus. The only way you can be in Jesus is through Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth, Paraclete. We go to Jesus via the Holy Spirit. He connects us directly with Jesus. And Jesus comes and dwells in us in the Spirit. Remember, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one. This Holy Spirit is literally entirely identical with Jesus. If Jesus had remained in his body, as he is in heaven right now, we would not see him, but maybe once in a lifetime. He would not be able to minister to all of us, but right now, by his spirit, he ministers to all of us. He died for all of us, and he ministers to all of us via his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abiding in you, the Holy Spirit with you in Jesus and the Father as one, is dependent upon your free choice to totally surrender and pay the price of giving up your life to Jesus Christ. Now, the second solemn reality of the Holy Spirit is that the consequence of your continuing to abide in Jesus is that he will continue to dwell in you. And when he dwells in you, the cry of your heart will be met. The loneliness of your heart will be erased. The huge hole that you could drive a semi-truck through in your life that you have filled with alcohol or drugs or sex or entertainment, ambition, money, relationships that have all in the end left you hungry and needy. All of that will be filled if you continue to abide in Jesus because he will continue to abide in you. Now there is a third solemn truth that I'd like to share with you. And that is the consequence of your failure to abide in Jesus, according to this passage, will be fruitlessness and removal. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. When you were a kid, did you ever go out and and cut off forsythia or some other pleasant brush, bush, shrub, and a pussy willow or whatever and bring it into the house? And after a day or two, you see it wilting. And then finally you say, let's take it out and throw it in the woods. Or let's throw it in the burn barrel. 
Let's get rid of it. The consequence of failure to continue to abide in Jesus. It says, If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You can't do anything for the kingdom of God. You can build a great church. You can do all kinds of interesting things, programs. But they will in the end be worth nothing. They will be ashes. And you will wither in your life in Jesus until finally you are judged and cast out. We must come to terms now. It is unthinkable to us that we could be burned in the end, that we could be cast out. We can't even begin to bring ourselves to face that reality. But that is the solemn reality of the Holy Spirit that he would bring to us today. The certainty. The certainty that you must repent of your sin, renounce them, and totally surrender to Jesus in every area of your heart and life, that you are to hold nothing back from Jesus' purview. The Holy Spirit will come and search your heart. (laughs) Some of you have been very self-willed you have said I will be a Christian but I will do it my way I will be a Christian and I will focus on this issue or that issue but not on Jesus I've known people who when they came to Jesus would spend hours on their faces weeping before Jesus asking him to clean up areas of their heart and their life, and Jesus responded and did so. But then it was almost as though they caught their second breath, and there rose up in their spirit a prideful heart that said, I can be a Christian and I can go my own way. Thank you very much. I'll go my way in the church. I'll go my way here and there. I'll have what I want. A sense of entitlement begins to build in their hearts. And they say, I'm owed. You owe me. And then they spiritually die. And they are an ugly caricature of the Christian they were called to be. But when you confront that, there's rage and anger. Please, as I confront this today with you, don't let your heart turn to rage and anger and turn this broadcast off. But instead, please, would you humble your heart before God? Would you hear the warning, the solemn realities of the Holy Spirit that you cannot dwell in Jesus 
if you are not dwelling in holiness in the spirit of the living God. It is only via the spirit that you can worship the Father and the Son. And they will only come and make their home in a man or a woman who is willing to humble their hearts, who is willing to give up trying, willing to give up condemning themselves, willing to stop trying to deliver themselves from every snare. Some of you today, you are caught in a desperate snare financially, or you are caught in a desperate snare in your marriage, or you are caught in a desperate snare at work, and you have no idea how you're going to get through this. It looks like you will lose everything. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the paraclete. You need the helper. The only way you'll get it The only way he'll come to you is if you renounce yourself. Many years ago, as I was starting in the school of the Holy Spirit, I had this dream. It's indelibly marked in my mind. I was in a great cathedral, and in the front stood a man of the cloth. And beside him was a bonfire, a large bonfire. And I was in a line of people. I was chained to a wagon, a a pull cart. And I was pulling that cart down the aisle of that church along with everyone else. And as I made my way toward that fire, I was weeping. And I finally came to the fire. And the man of the cloth said to me, Enter in. Enter in. I knew what he meant. He meant step into that fire with your wagon. And with great fear and trembling, I did what he said. I stepped into the fire. And as soon as I stepped into the fire, my clothing was changed. I was changed. And the wagon that I was pulling with all of my precious possessions was consumed in the fire. I walked away in robes of white, rejoicing in Jesus. I knew the Lord was saying to me, Ray, bring all of those things that are precious to you and walk into the fire. I have a choice. I either now walk into that fire and am transformed and changed, or I walk into the fire at the end of time and the judgment of God consumes me. Which will it be, my brother, my sister? Almighty God, move upon this congregation and bring them to that decision. Send forth your Holy Spirit to convict of sin. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 
Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. We at the Prayer Chapel are spending every Sunday morning from 10 until noon praying, talking together, looking at the Word in preparation for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to be a part of that, we're a very small group. If you'd like to come and tarry with us for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would you come? Call me and I'll give you directions. Call me at 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. Come and tarry with us for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are still short. $1,500. I've not been able to get to the post office. I haven't had transportation. I will this weekend. But I need to hear from you. Last month's bill is due, and I'm lacking $1,500. Some of you can give $5, $10. Some of you can give $1,000 or $10,000 or more. Would you open your hearts up and give today? Would you send a check now to... The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or would you encourage me? I can go to the web and I can look at the PayPal. Would you go on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com, and would you give online? God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I speak these words to draw your heart to Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus Christ, our